welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. I meant to say this earlier um, when I was doing announcements. I'm going to go ahead and say it now because I can. I, I, I was thinking yesterday after being up here with you guys and we had such a, an awesome work day and the, and the way we worked in unison, people just everybody working together and the love we shared and, and what we've experienced as a church. I just want to say I believe we have the best church in the state of Arkansas. Okay, now if somebody didn't name in that, we were just going to cut it short and go home. Like, like I am just so thankful for this church. I'm, I'm thankful for you guys. I'm thankful for your hearts. Uh, I, I never come to this church questioning where your hearts are or what you want to do for God. And I'm just, I just want you to know, from me to you, and I hope to all of us, I'm so thankful for y'all. I don't know what I would do without you. I don't know what I would do without this church. It means the world to me, and not because I'm the pastor. Um, we started a series a couple weeks ago called Ordinary. We're going to be continuing on with that today. And uh, I'm, I, you guys have heard me talk enough to know I watch way too much TV. And you guys always know what I'm talking about, so you do too. And I, I like those court dramas. Like th- there's always like this huge drama about a court. You know, the lawyer is doing this. There's a prosecution or somebody's been arrested falsely. And I like that because it's, it's so intense. And, and somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm like, I want to go to court one day. Not, not me. Don't sue me or anything. But like I want to go see this in real life and and I thought that until I went to jury duty one time and then I thought I don't want to go to court anymore but on TV it's so cool isn't it like the, there's there's this person they've been accused of this crime and they're always innocent you're rooting for them like they, they didn't murder that person and, and the way the court works at least on TV is is that you have the prosecutor give it up there and he's always like this this like sharp dress you know really smart and he's kind of the bad guy and, and he's laying out the case like I have proof they did it we have this and here's the evidence and then you're always like boo on that guy right but then but then he says these really weird words he goes uh, the prosecution rests and I always have like this idea that he's gonna go take a nap but he just goes and sits down and now it's the defendant's term the defendant is able to have his lawyer get up there and they're able to start disproving those facts. And in the TV shows, at least, that's where the story starts changing. And if you look at that, how does a normal defendant, how does an ordinary defendant handle that moment? An ordinary defendant, they lay out the case of why they didn't do it or, or my favorite ones are why they did do it, but that they were justified in doing it. And as we see here in Acts chapter 6 and 7, we've been, we've been watching an old school court case unfold as we look at the story of Stephen. Just to recap in case you haven't been here, Acts chapter 6, we introduced the first deacons in the Bible. The, God, uh, the Bible tells us why we needed deacons and what their position was. And then we're introduced to a man named Stephen. Now, Stephen, outside of his capacity of deacon, was obviously also an evangelist. He's out becoming like Christ, carrying the message of the Christ of Christ to the world. And, and, and people don't like that. This is an unpopular message for him to walk around the Jewish community and be like, y'all killed God. Like, people don't want to hear that. And so Stephen is arrested, and he's now been put on trial. And, and what we saw at the end of chapter 6 was the prosecution rests. They called their witnesses. They, they had said what was wrong with him and at the end of chapter 6 the attention turns to Stephen and as all eyes in the room go to Stephen you expect him to be scared he's on trial for his life but but we see that Stephen has the peace of Christ within him if you've got your Bibles open chapter 7 verse 1 here's what happens next then said the high priest are these things 
So, keep your Bibles open. We got a lot of scripture to cover today. Are these things so? Now it is time for the prosecution to rest and the defense to lay out their case. Why am I not guilty of this? Why do I not deserve to, to lose my life? The first thing he asks him here are, are the charges true? Stephen, you've heard what was said against you. Is this true? Did you really say these things? Did you really do these things? Are you blaspheming God in this way? And, and before we continue on with Stephen's reply, I think we need to go back and we need to just check and see what, before we get any farther into the story, what are they accusing Stephen of? And if you want to look at that, it's in chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. I'll break it down really easily. They're accusing him, number one, of preaching against the temple. Now, to you and me, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us. It doesn't mean a lot to preach against the temple. But what we need to understand is that this time, the temple was the holy place. It was a place where you went and performed sacrifices, a place where you prayed to God. But specifically, the temple was and represented God's dwelling among his people. I've got a picture coming up here of the temple or a drawing of the temple back in the day. You see that red circle up there? That area within that building held two places that were very important. One of them was called the holy place, where, where some of the rituals were taken care of. And then there was one place called the holy of holies. And the holy of holies was sacred. Like, nobody went in there except for the high priests. And he went in there once a year. Anybody who entered the holy of holies would die. As a matter of fact, when the high priest went in there by permission to perform the last sacrifice for Israel, he, he went in, they tied a rope around his waist in case he died so they could drag his body out of there. Now, the reason nobody went into the Holy of Holies is this is God's dwelling place among his people. The presence of God stayed in that room. It doesn't mean that God had a throne there and you could sit there and talk to him. This was a place that God had set aside to be his dwelling place. And so when you accuse Stephen of preaching against the temple, well, what you're accusing him of is preaching against God's presence with the people. That's a huge thing when Stephen comes up and goes, oh, the, the temple's not necessary anymore. What people hear is, we don't need God anymore. God is, God is not important. God's presence with us is not important. So that's a huge, uh, huge strike on Stephen's record. The second thing they accused him of was preaching against the law. And if you've spent a lot of time in the church, you've probably heard about the law, the law of Moses, the Old Testament law. It was a civil law, but it was also a religious law. It, it laid out the reasons for sacrifice and how to perform sacrifices. It laid out sins as well as the way to set up a civil government. This was the way that Israel, uh, this is the way that Israel worshipped and connected to God was through this sacrificial system and through this law that said these are right, these are unclean things, and these are clean things. This is how Israel was set aside before Jesus Christ. And so you put all this together when Stephen comes out and he says things like, oh, the temple is not necessary, or he implies something to that effect, or he says the law is no longer needed like it once was. What people are hearing, people are hearing Stephen say is, we don't need everything that makes us special to God. We don't need to be connected to God. God's presence here with us doesn't matter. And so in this, he's undoing the Jewish system. Now, the question is, did Stephen say these things? Because, it, I mean, it is true that, that he said these things, but it's not true that he said them the way that, that they want to. I, I kind of think of it like this the way Stephen is preaching. Some of you guys have been workers before, and I don't mean like you had a job. Like, you've been outside, and you've worked out in the heat, and you sweat, and you do hours of it, and you get thirsty afterwards. Anybody in here done that? Just, okay, a few of you. Some, you guys are proud of that. That's me. I've done it. And when you work like that, you get what? 
Did somebody say angry? What? Uh, no. It's thirsty. You get you get thirsty, right? You you need something to drink, and and everybody. Everybody knows that when you come in to drink something, that this is, this is cool and this is refreshing for you. It's cold, but, but it's, it's not what you're looking for. Like, when you're that thirsty, you don't want a Coke. And, and before we go any farther, I know it's a Dr. Pepper. This is a doctrinal point I will stand on. It's a Coke, not a soda, okay? I will fight you all day over that. But you don't want this. And, and I've drunk enough of these, literally has probably kept me alive over my life. But when you're hot and you're tired, this is okay, but it's not what you want. What do you want? You want water, right? You, you want water because water is what's going to keep you alive. Water is what's going to quench your thirst. That, that Coke will help a little bit, but, but you'll never be satisfied with it. But water, on the other hand, that will quench your thirst. That will replenish your body. And what Stephen is saying about the temple and the law is not that they're not necessary, not that God's not with them. What Stephen is saying is the temple and the law, they're a Coke. It's, it's good, but the water is better. And he's talking about the living water. He's, he's talking about Jesus Christ. All he's saying in this is, is not that the temple and the law are not needed. He said that Jesus is the fulfillment of those things above. You want God's presence with you? He walked here as a man. He, he came here. He was present with us in the world. He didn't need to be in his little box in the back of the temple. He walked among us. That's the water. It's so much better than the box that we put God in. When, when he said the law, he didn't say oh, we don't need a law. He said the new law is that we are covered by grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. He said, we had a Coke, but now we have water, and it'll quench our thirst a whole lot better. But this is still not a popular message. This is still not a popular message, because honestly, this tastes a lot better than this. This quenches my thirst. This is healthy for me, but I will choose this every day of the week to go with pizza or a hamburger or early morning wake-ups or anything. And so what you have is you have these people, they don't want to hear the message about the water or about Jesus Christ. They don't want to hear that it's better because it's, it's bland. It doesn't meet what they're used to. They don't, they don't want to change from drinking Cokes to drinking water. They don't want to change from the law in the temple to a carpenter who claims to be God. And so they hate that. Now, as he's sitting here and the, the high priest asked him, are, are these charges true? Did you say these things? Did you teach these things? You, you can kind of feel the heaviness in the room. The silence as everybody shifts in their chair and, and they look at Stephen. What will he say? Will he say, I didn't say that. I, I didn't mean those things. I would never say those things. You didn't understand me. Let me defend. Here's my witnesses that says those people are lying. No. Or will he defend God? Will he double down on it? And you have to think some people were scared of what he might have said. Some people were confident that he would be dumb enough to say something that would incriminate him and get him killed. How does Stephen defend himself? And he opens his mouth and he preaches this sermon that is the majority of chapter 7 in your Bible today. And last week we saw that as people tried to argue with him, as they tried to tell him he was wrong, that what they did is they... they uh, the Bible said that they could not resist the wisdom by which he spoke. And in chapter 7, he opens his mouth, and this wisdom given to him, this argument given to him by the Holy Spirit, begins to pour out. And he's not like an ordinary defendant. He doesn't defend himself. He defends Jesus Christ. He defends the truth. He won't back down from it. If you still got your Bibles with you, let's read chapter 7, verses 2 through 7 together and see what Stephen has to say. And he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dealt in Haran. 
and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I shall show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dealt in Haran. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into the land wherein ye now dwell. That's Israel, by the way. And he gave him none inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on it. Yet he promised him that he would give it to him for his possession, and the seed after him, when as yet he had no child. And God spake on the wise that his seed should sojourn in a strange land, and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil four hundred years. He's speaking of Egypt there. In the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God. And after that they shall come forth and serve me in this place. Now Stephen here, he doesn't, he doesn't begin saying, well, let me explain what I meant. He doesn't, he doesn't even answer the question. He's standing here in this court, and it's his turn to talk. It's his turn for a defense. And he starts off with a history lesson. Hey, brothers, we're all Jews. We all come from this Jewish heritage. Let's go back to Abraham, and let's talk about what God really was to Abraham. And many of you know Abraham. Abraham was, was what we might call the father of the Jewish faith. You know, Father Abraham had many sons. I think we sang that a few weeks ago. And Abraham had this, this covenant with God that all of Abraham's descendants through the lineage of his son Isaac would be God's chosen people. God promised him they're going to go off into a far land, they'll fall into bondage, but I'll bring them back here to the promised land, to Israel. And this will be the place they will dwell and I will protect them and I will be their God and they will be set aside for me to do a very special purpose. And then he lays out journey, Abraham's journey. He lays out what Abraham's doing. He says that God appeared to him in Mesopotamia. God guided him in Haran. In Israel, God promised, so he's commuting, uh, communicating with him in what would become Israel. In Egypt, there was a promise to be rescued. And all of this is before Israel, before a temple, before any of those things. God, God promised Abraham all of these things and appeared to him in all these ways. If you take that, I've got a, a map coming up here. If you take all that, that Abraham traveled that's, that's recorded in the Bible and recorded in this passage here. It's that yellow line there. That yellow line up through, through Egypt and what is now Israel. I think that may clip Turkey, uh, Syria, all the way over into maybe possibly Iraq, possibly over there. If you look at that journey, that's a thousand miles. And I don't mean it's a thousand miles like we're going on a family vacation. Everybody get in the car. We're going to go seize California. And he walked that. And Stephen's point in this is that over this thousand miles, or thousands of miles that Abraham is walking, God is continually with him, guiding him, speaking to him. And the point Stephen is trying to get across is, you really think God is restrained to a temple? He was with Abraham in all of these places before there was a temple. And you think God is restrained to, restrained to the temple? No, he, he chose the temple for a period of time and he told them to build it, but he was never restrained by it. Our first take-home truth is God's presence is everywhere. That's what Stephen's getting at. God's, God's presence is everywhere. You're not going to find a place that God is not. Yes, he had a dwelling place, but that doesn't mean that he was anywhere less across the world. In the book of Ezekiel, I love Ezekiel. It's prophecy, and it's, it's really, it'll mess you up if you don't understand it. It takes a lot of study to understand Ezekiel. But in, in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel sees the throne of God. He sees God the Father sitting on the throne in all of his glory, re, uh, surrounded by angels, and they're all singing praises to him. And, and I love this about the throne. is The throne is not stationary. The throne's not in heaven. If you read the description of Ezekiel when he sees the throne of God, it is the throne of God is on wheels. 
it's not stationary and their wheels actually I think they may have been more of a ball the way it's described and they, they go left and they go right and they go forward and they go up and down it, go, it goes everywhere this picture of God's throne being highly mobile he, he's not restrained just to heaven or just to a, a chair somewhere God, God has the ability to move and is continually moving listen to the words of David which is scripture David, David talking about him knowing the presence of God written in scripture Psalm 139 says where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence if I ascend into heaven you are there if I make my bed in hell behold you are there if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the other uttermost parts of the sea even there shall your hand lead me and your right hand shall hold me so he addresses this misunderstanding about God. The misunderstanding they had about God is if the temple is not necessary, if that holy of holies is not used, then God is gone from us. And because of that, they had made the temple an idol to them. So the temple was a place that represented God and therefore it was God. But Stephen wants to address this problem they have in their hearts about where God is. Instead, God is everywhere. I don't know about you guys, but when I watch a movie or I read a story, I always see myself as the good guy, right? Like, I'm a little bit more Captain America, a little bit less Thanos, a little bit more Superman, a little less Lex Luthor, um, a little bit more Cowboy, a little bit less Robber. For, for all you Hallmark fans in there, you guys know how I feel about that. I'm always the guy, or you can be the girl next door, never the, the kind of the mean ex that always starts the story off. We, we always see ourselves as the good side guys in the story. So for you and me, we're like, go Steven! Yeah, we got it. But I wonder today... Since God put this in our Bible and sent it to us, I wonder if it's possible that maybe we're a little bit on the misunderstanding side. If maybe in our hearts, even if we can say the words, if maybe we're a little bit like those Jewish leaders who, who just don't get it. How many times have you heard this called God's house? It's God's house. I've heard people say, we're coming here to meet with God. It's a building. It'll go away one day. And it's a special place because we choose as a church to meet here. But you are not meeting with God here any more than you are meeting with God in the shower. Yeah, I picked the shower on purpose. That's where I'm like the most vulnerable. You're no closer to God when you come into this building than you are when you're taking a shower or when you're driving down the road. I've had people tell me before that the way that they, they try, to, try to tell God that they want him, they just move their stuff over in the passenger seat and say, God, come sit beside me. This place is not any more special than any of those other places. And, and yet sometimes I think that we kind of get in that mentality of like God resides in a house. God resides in a church or it's more holy. It's the reason we tell people, it's the reason we tell our kids, we don't say those words in church. Which implies you can say them when you're out of the church, but you don't say them in the church. You're no closer to God here than you are anywhere. You guys know the story, Green Eggs and Ham? Uh, I, I almost rewrote that story this week. I didn't quite have the time. But, but you know the story of green eggs are ham, and I think it ends with him changing, so this may be counterproductive. My kindergarten wife, or kindergarten teacher wife, will tell me later if I'm right or wrong. But in Green Eggs and Ham, Dr. Seuss, th there's this question of, do you like green eggs of ham? And then the whole book is, I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam, I am. I don't want them in a box or with a fox or in a truck or a train. The, the ideal of green eggs or ham is there is nowhere, no circumstance in which I am going to eat and like green eggs and ham. It's totality. And I think that, that kind of illustrates God's presence. There is nowhere or no circumstance that God is not. There's nowhere or no way that you can get away from him. 
God knows your deepest, darkest thoughts, those things that you would never, like if somebody said it in church, you'd be like, oh, wow, I can't believe somebody would think that. God knows that, and he loves you anyway. There's no place you're gonna run or hide from him, and some of you need to hear this, is even in your darkest moment, even in the worst day of your life, God stood right beside you. You weren't forsaken and you weren't forgotten. You can't, you can't get away from him. And this is, this is scary because it's, it's ordinary not to comprehend big things. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? I've talked about this before. Grand Canyon people? It's amazing, isn't it? It's beautiful. I remember sitting in the Grand Canyon for the first time and I could see it. I could look to the left and the right and forward and I could see it and I could see the colors and I could have described it to you. But I remember thinking, my brain just won't wrap its mind around how big this was. I could put my eyes on it. I could touch it. But I literally could not grasp how big it was. My, my brain couldn't take that. And it's scary when we see things that are that big because what that reminds us of is, is how small we are. If a little trickle of water can cut the Grand Canyon, what am I? And I think we look at God that way sometimes too. He's so big, he's so great, he's so all-encompassing that we can't grasp him. And that scares us because it makes us realize how small we are. And so it has been human nature to try to confine God into some kind of a box. God fits in this box right here. This, I should have brought an action box. This is it. God never goes over here. God never goes over here. He goes in this box. He acts this way. He does these things. That's not how God works within the Bible. See, God is, is bigger than religion. God is bigger than the world. God, God is bigger than the problems you're facing. He's bigger than imagery that we use to describe God, like crosses and statues. God is bigger than coronavirus and politics. They're all under his hand. All of those things are small to him, and so are you and I. And this is Stephen's point when he, when he gets into this message here. He said the temple and the law, those are small compared to who God really is. You can't put God in the box and say he can only work that way. You can't put God in a box and say he'll only come as a Messiah in this way. No, instead, instead, he comes however he wants to. And is it really that hard to believe that a God who can show up to Abraham like that, is it really that hard to believe that he shows up as a man and a humble man, one who loves like the Bible has always said that God has loved? Is it really that hard to believe that, that faith really has always been about a relationship with God and not about your actions? And that's what it all comes down to is the temple wasn't a relationship with God. And you guys need to hear this today and I need to hear this. Church membership, church attendance is not a relationship with God. It doesn't make you any more holy that you're here this morning or that you hold a title in a church. What God has always desired is faith in him and a personal closeness and connection to an ever-presence God. And Stephen lays this out for these jokers and they don't like it. And he's not done yet. By the way, we're going to go over 50, uh, 53 verses of scripture today. So, you know, we're going to be here till like three o'clock. But anyway, it's okay because we're here to worship God. But he continues on and he begins to talk about the law. And everybody knows the, at this time knows that the law was given to God, given by God to Moses. It's often called the law of Moses. And so he goes, okay, well, you want to talk about how important the law is. Let's talk about Moses for a couple minutes. If you've got your Bibles with you, again, skip down to chapter seven, verses 25. 25 through 27 talking about Moses says, for he said 
opposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them at once again, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren, why do you do wrong to one another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee, he's speaking to Moses, who made thee ruler and judge over us? Skip over to verse 35. Then Moses, whom they refused, is being rejected, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by thy hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out. After that, he had showed them wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall, be the, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you and your brethren, like unto me, him shall ye hear." So, so Stephen begins to now address Moses. Okay, we won't talk about Moses. You won't talk about the importance of law. You want to accuse me of blaspheming the law. Let's talk about the fact that, that when Moses came, he came in a package you didn't expect. Moses, who was put in a basket and floated down the river and raised by Egyptian royalty, who was raised as an Egyptian prince. It's not who you expected to rescue you. And when Moses came and he said, I am your brother, what did you do? The Jewish people rejected him. Why? Because he didn't look like what they were expecting. And so Stephen uses this idea of rejecting Moses as rejecting Jesus. The same Moses who is almost now worshipped by you is the same, the one that God sent is the one that you rejected because he didn't look like what you thought he should look like. He didn't act the way that you thought he should act. You ask him, who, who put you in charge? Our, our next take-home truth is ordinary people reject what God really is. And Stephen throws this out there, and it wasn't an accident. He says, Moses came and he proved who he was. He did signs and wonders. He called down plagues from God. He did the whole staff snake thing. Like Moses had all of this amazing ability to prove he was from God because he had the power to create miracles that nobody else could. Gee, I wonder if that sounds familiar. I wonder if it sounds familiar that somebody sent from God had the ability to show up and they didn't look like God, but they were God. And they proved they were God by doing signs and miracles and healing people and loving them. You don't like it because God's out of the box. You put him in. But Stephen says, look, it never has worked the way that you want it to, even with Moses, who you love. And you attacked and rejected Moses, and you've attacked and rejected Jesus. And he continues on in the story of Moses. I didn't read this, but I found this really interesting. He goes on and he talks about, you rejected Moses, even after the signs and wonders, after he led you out, after you crossed the Red Sea, and Moses was gone for like just a month. He was up talking to God, and you got kind of tired of waiting on Moses, and you'd seen everything that God had done through Moses. And you know what you said? Bring me the gold. Melt it down. Make us a God that we can serve. That's, that's what they attacked, is, or that's what Stephen is saying, is that the people, the people when Moses was gone, even after seeing all these things, they just wanted something to look at. It had no power, it wasn't God, but it, it made them feel better. It was a man-made religion, something that, that wasn't God. And some of us here, I think we've rejected Jesus the same way. You say, hi, Brian, I'm a church. How could I have rejected Jesus? I think we've rejected who Jesus really is, and we've put him in a box of man-made religion. We've decided who we think he is, how he should rule, what it should be like to be a follower of his, and that has become our religion. That has become our faith, and we've made a religion based on rules and legalism and what you can and can't do. 
And to you, that's what God is, is a set, a set of rules that says do this or don't do this. You, you made God a, a, an addition of one week, or I'm sorry, one day a week to your life to be at church. And in our lives, it looks like churches and crosses displayed in our homes and, and Bible verses on our social media. But the truth has always been the truth. Is that instead we want something that we can control, not something that controls us. And as Stephen is preaching this, and I think it's why it's recorded in the Bible, he offers this invitation to all. He said, you can have your man-made religion, you can have your rules, you can put God in this little box, or you can have Jesus. You can have the real thing. You can have what God meant for you to have. And I, I think this is the invitation God sends uh, to us today, is that we're to quit rejecting the living God, assuming that he's only religion. Stephen is almost finished with the sermon now. He's taken them down this path where he's, he's addressed the, the, the idea of the law. He's addressed the idea of uh, God's presence in the temple and Abraham. And this is what he says. This is how he ends his sermon in verse 50 and 51, chapter 7. Uh, have not my hand made all these things? Speaking of God, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in the heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. Stephen calls them out. He says, you're just like your ancestors. Th those people who rejected Moses, who rejected this hand of rescue that God sent them, who said, oh, we don't listen to you, we don't follow you, we don't trust you because you're not what we think God should have sent. You look back on those stories now and you go, how stupid could you be? But here, here's what, what Stephen says. He says, you're just, you're just like them. This Jesus came to you as a man. He came to you as God incarnate and you rejected him. He stuck out a hand of salvation and you drove nails through that. He calls them uncircumcised of the heart. I don't have time to explain circumcision to you, um, but if you'd like to, add, to know more about it, Brother Larry will be in the lobby after church, and he would be love to explain that to you. But what you need to know about circumcision is circumcision was the sign of being a person of God. It was the sign of being one with God, of being in a covenant with God. And this is what he says, what Stephen says to them. He says, you're uncircumcised in the heart, meaning you may have the outward actions, but your heart is not connected to God the way that it should be. And he's talking to the Sanhedrin. These are the top legal and religious experts in the country. He says, look, you're, you appear holy. I, I see that. But in the heart where it matters, you're no more connected to God than a rock. Our last take-home truth is your outside actions don't matter. Only your heart. We'll continue the story next week. But, but what it'll tell you is that these words from Stephen cut to the heart of the people. That they, that they were cut to the heart. And what that means is they were convicted. And all, all the word convicted means is, is they know it's true. They know Stephen was talking to them. They knew they couldn't resist it and they knew he was right, but yet they rejected it anyway. And, and I wonder today if, if you're here and you need to hear the same thing that Stephen said to them. You spend a lot of time in your life making yourself look holy on the outside, but your God is no more connected, or your, your heart is no more connected to, a, to God than a rock. And, and if you feel that little sting that feels like cutting at your heart, that means you're convicted that this is true, that that's what your religion has been. Liv, go ahead and come up here. And so the reason that we talk about this is, is there's a need to get it right, because just as Stephen stood in a court, one day you will too.
you and I will all stand in a court and we will all be judged with our eternal life on the line. And the Bible tells us of how many people are going to try to defend it at that time. There's going to be people that are coming to come up and they're going to say, I had the outside actions. I taught Sunday school. I went to church. I was a church member. I did all the right things. I talked about you. I had a Bible. I, I, even that one time, I may have got baptized. And, and God says to them, depart from me. I never knew you. See, the only defense you and I have when we come to that judgment is not what we did, not what we have, not what we can do. It's the same defense that Stephen laid out in his defense. That defense is that Jesus Christ is enough for me. And if you've missed that in your heart, if, you, if you've made this about your actions or you've made it about religion and you've put God in a little small box and said, this is what God looks like in my life, it's time to put your faith in Christ. Because that is the only thing, that is the only thing that will get you to him. If that's you this morning, don't leave again being convicted and cut to the heart. It's the best decision you'll ever make. Best thing you'll ever do is give your life completely to Christ in faith. This is open to you. I want to talk with you. I'll hug you. I'll love you. I'll pray with you. I'll do anything. But don't leave here the same as you walk.